Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to the 167th episode of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is an internationally recognised author, speaker, blogger and sometime teacher and consultant. He has been working with the web since late 1993 and is recognised as an expert on the subjects of HTML, CSS and web standards. He is currently a technical lead at non-profit organisation Rebecca's Gift and is also co-founder of an event apart, a web design conference for UX and front-end experts. So welcome to the show, Eric Meyer. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So Eric, the very first thing I wanted to ask you about really was the nonprofit organization Rebecca's Gift. Could you maybe give us a bit of a some background to that organization and your involvement? Uh, yes. My daughter, Rebecca, died of brain cancer on her sixth birthday. And one of the things that we discovered helped our surviving children and my wife and myself recover after a few months after her death was to take a trip together that the kids kind of planned. For people who are familiar with Make-A-Wish, it's sort of like Make-A-Wish, but after a child has died. We don't have the resources of Make-A-Wish, but at any rate, we decided to Really, my wife decided to create a nonprofit that would help families who have had a, a child die take their other children on a trip just to be away for a little bit and to reconnect with each other. So I'm, we call me the chief technical officer. That means I'm in charge of the website, basically. Um, right. It's really led by my wife. In terms of where people can find out about it, can you maybe tell us where to go? Uh, Rebecca'sgift.org dot um, com also works. That's the website. And if um, we're really US based at this point, we haven't filed as an organization in other countries at this point. It's because it's really you know like three people. But if you know people know of a family that could benefit from this, um, have them go to the website and submit. The uh, podcast itself is global, so. And there are plenty of listeners in the US, so I'm sure they'll be able to visit the website and have a look. Obviously, there'll be a show notes page for the episode as well, so we'll provide details of where to go. Thanks. So in terms of your other activities, an event apart is something else you're you're very much involved in. Could you maybe give us a bit of an insight into that? Yeah. So Jeffrey Zeldman and I had been speaking at conferences around the turn of the millennium about web stuff. And uh, a lot of them were not great. And I feel like I can say that because almost none of them still exist. Um, <laughs> and the ones that do still exist probably were, were pretty good. Um, but he and I, uh, we would speak at conferences and as we got to talking about the shows that we'd been to, I was like, we, we could probably do better than this. And, and also at the same time, there weren't conferences that were speaking to people like us, which we sort of thought of as the a list apart audience. So people who are sort of designers and developers, you know, or who can do both, uh, who straddle that line and who really care about doing things properly, right? People who 
who are craftspeople at, at creating websites. They don't just want to slam something out. They want it to be accessible and, and forward compatible and all those sorts of things. So we thought we would make a little one-day show uh, that would go around to a few cities in the U.S. And uh, they were unexpectedly really popular. And the number one feedback we got from people was, I wish it had been more than a day. So now we have three-day shows. We've grown slowly over the years. Uh, In fact, as we record this, I'm going to leave for Boston in a couple of days for an event apart Boston where we have 17 speakers uh, over three days. Wow. Um, And But the, yeah, the idea is that it's the kind of show that if you're a developer, you can go and you'll hear about development stuff, but also about design and other things that maybe you don't have a lot of time to pay attention to in your day-to-day work. If you're a designer, same thing. If you're a UX information architect, that sort of thing, we really try to cover the spectrum and uh, not just talk about hey, here's cool stuff you can do now, although there's plenty of that. There's plenty of like immediate takeaways, but also here's what's coming soon. We had speakers talking about CSS Grid and Flexbox over the last few years. So people who attended the shows and, and saw those talks were were ready for those. You know, they like knew they were coming. So when they sort of broke wide in, in various browsers, people that had been to Event Apart were not taken by surprise. And how many cities are you expecting to to, um, be arranging events this year? By the end of the year, we'll have done six. We've done one already in Seattle, and then we have five more coming, including the Boston show. Right, and they're all US-based? They are all US-based. We've looked occasionally at uh, going overseas, but it's even more fantastically complicated than you might think. (laughs) I can imagine it is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just the basic sort of one being that if you like if we wanted to do an event in another country we would have to do all of the legal paperwork and file all the forms to set ourselves up as a business in that country and that's not usually very cheap sure yeah. that's just the first thing that you, that has to be dealt with sure so, yeah they're all they're all us based so eric can you maybe share with us a career tip one that perhaps the audience doesn't know and should one that some of the audience may know but but a surprising number of people don't is that there really are no gatekeepers. There's really nobody in it who can make or break your career other than yourself and perhaps your immediate boss. <laughs> but even at that, you know, hopefully if, if you have a situation that you need to get out of, hopefully you can get out of it. I realize not everyone has that luxury, but I hear sometimes people say, Oh, you know, so-and-so they have, you know, they're so, well-known they have so much power like don't cross them it's like no that's (laughs) nobody has that power nobody can shut you out of web development it's just that's not a thing i'm not quite sure where that perception comes from but there's yeah i mean let's say that you got me or jeffrey really mad for some reason what can we do (laughs) there's nothing there's nothing we can do to keep you out of web development, nor would we. I mean, Jeffrey and I aren't the kind of people who would do that. But you know, even if there's somebody who's like, you'll never work in this field again, there's nobody that can enforce that. And thankfully so. I'm, I'm really glad we don't have the kind of industry where someone could say, you'll never work in this town again. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not that way. <laughs> no, it isn't. Fortunately, no. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Eric, can you perhaps tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? When I was working at Case Western Reserve University, which is a a university here in the United States, I was on the web team, and the web this was leading up to Y two K, 
for those of you who remember Y2K. And uh, we decided that it would be funny to make it so that on like at the stroke of midnight on January 1st, 2000, that the homepage of the website for the university would look like it had been created in the 1900s, right? So like woodcut and frontier typography and that sort of thing. And so we did it, but we hadn't actually asked anybody if we could. And uh, I, I mean, at the time, you know, web teams were usually a bunch of nerds off in the corner that nobody really paid attention to. And we had this little note on it that said, you know, sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge saying, as you can see, the server thinks it's 1900. And it got covered in mainstream press as an example of an actual Y2K error. <laughs> so the administration was less than pleased. Yes. Um, apparently, my boss was ordered to fire me. And also his boss was ordered to fire him, neither of which happened. I'm, I'm just going to say. Yeah. Nobody actually got fired Good. over this. <laughs> yeah, but it did get taken down uh, quickly. And it, to me, I think it's my it's my worst IT moment because I actually imperiled my boss's job. Yeah. If I had thought for a second, there's there's no way I would have done the way I would have done it. But um, imperiling my job, I mean that those are the risks you take. But it's it's uh, I still feel bad about that. And he's like. We talked recently and he, he's retired, he retired from the university uh, just recently after many, many years of, of service there. So it didn't actually have terrible long-term consequences, but I still feel, I feel bad about that. So moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? I think I'm actually going to go back to the university when I was at Case two professors in the history department there. And actually I have a degree in history from Case Western Reserve University, but two of the professors there wrote the Encyclopedia of Cleveland, basically the Encyclopedia of Cleveland History, and also the Dictionary of Cleveland Biography. So these were actually two separate volumes. One was a bunch of entries about places and, and people and events in Cleveland's history, but then the, the Dictionary of Biography was actual biographical entries about people. So they came to my department and said, we want to put these online. We want to put all of the material online. We want it to be freely available. And uh, we did it. I led that project. We put it all online. It was the first example of an entire encyclopedia of urban history being available online for free. The Encyclopedia of Chicago History had put a few things online, but not the entire text. We put the entire text on. That was the vision that these professors had. And, you know, it's like managing the team, making it happen, and putting that information out there for free, it was my first huge, I think, career highlight for me. Yeah. So in, in terms of the thinking behind that, what, what was the reason for putting it out there and making it free? Did you, did you get an understanding of why that happened? They wanted people to have access to the information. This was 1996, 1997, and that time frame. Yep. You know, when the commercial aspect of the web was growing, but it wasn't like the overwhelming part of the web and it felt like, you know, this is we take information, we put it online and scholars can access it. And I think to them it was just, you know, look, we published this thing. It's probably sold as many copies as it's ever going to sell, but we didn't write it. I think their thinking was we didn't write it to make money, we wrote it to have this information codified and available to people 
you know, scholars who are interested in the history of Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, to be clear, um, since it is a global audience, uh, which is right on the south edge of Lake Erie. And so that was their motivation. And I was, I was 100% into it. I was working for a university. So the university was 100% into it, right? Like it was a way for them to sort of have a thing they could brag about. Look, we put this whole thing online and, and things like that. So, but it, it just, I still look back at that as I'm, I'm really proud that I did that. There are, are other things too. I mean, founding an event apart, having it grow, proud about those things. But I think that was sort of my first huge highlight was that project. So, Eric, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? In my sort of area, which is web design technology, and I'm I'm most focused on CSS or cascading style sheets, uh, I'm really excited about how it's still growing and developing and gaining new capabilities that isn't slowing down or stopping, which is really exciting to me. To me, but. The thing that actually gives me more optimism than that sort of at a higher level is that we haven't had many conversations about the ethics of what we do, particularly on the web. And those conversations are starting to happen. There are people who are, who are studying it closely. There are scholars who are taking serious looks at it and are being heard. I, I don't want to say that you know, nobody studied this before now. It's actually that some people are paying attention. You know, uh, when Facebook has ethical lapses, it actually makes news. Yes. Mainstream news. And, you know, whether or not Facebook specifically does anything to clear that up, I'm, I, I have no idea. I know people who work at Facebook who want that to happen. Whether or not they can make it happen, I wish them all the luck in the world and anything I can do to help them, absolutely there for. But, it's actually becoming a conversation. Mike Montero just uh, published a book about design and design ethics where he takes a very strong stand. People who know Mike Montero will not be surprised to hear that he took a very strong stand. But it's, you know, these are the conversations that, that need to happen. I, I talked about it a little bit over the last few years. Um, I've gotten back into sort of the CSS and technical stuff, but these are things that, that need to be thought about. You know, what is the impact that doing thing X could have outside of the narrow view we have of its ideal use. When people create things, you know, they need to ask themselves, how could this be abused? Yes. Which, you know, you're not making it for people to abuse and yet it happens a lot. So when it comes to social networking, you know, I I saw somebody say some of the questions that anyone who creates a social application of any kind need to ask themselves is how could an abusive ex use this to sort of attack someone virtually or physically as the case may be that, you know, and that's just, you might think to yourself, gosh, you know, that that's not what we're designing for. Okay. But that doesn't matter. (laughs) So those sorts of questions are are definitely being uh, thought about more. And it's a conversation that I think is, is long overdue. And presumably out of the back of that, of course, there'll be new roles within the IT industry as well that'll sort of pick up on these trends and and conversations. That's my hope. Yeah, I really hope that. I hope that a chief ethical officer becomes a thing that's not, that people don't even think about because, of course, Google has an ethics officer or whatever. And also, this is a thing that will come up also in artificial intelligence, machine learning, that sort of stuff is coming up. You know, where people have trained networks to do things and, and had it go horribly wrong in ways they had never 
conceived of. That's driving some of this too, the, this whole idea of we're going to just dump a whole bunch of data into a recursive neural network and hope it works <laughs> and hope nothing goes terribly wrong. That's fine when you're starting out and you're, you're teaching yourself how RNNs work, but it's not okay if you're going to deploy stuff to the public. Yeah. And yeah. But again, it sounds like I'm pessimistic about machine learning. No, I'm actually optimistic that these conversations are happening. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? I am. I hope. <laughs> so what first attracted you to a career in IT? Uh, I could make money doing it. That's sort of the facile answer. I've been using computers since I was seven. So uh, when I graduated from college and needed a job, I had a skill set that could land me a job. Uh, while I was pursuing other studies, which which I eventually abandoned because I just got so deep into the web pretty quickly. Yeah. But it was, you know, just I've been using computers my whole life. I've been doing programming practically my whole life. Um, I was really lucky in that I had access to computers from such an early age, given how old I am. So, yeah, so it was second nature to you, and it was presumably just that sort of natural progression. Yeah. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? So for me, the best career advice I ever got was to write a book. Jeff Veen told me that. I had asked him how one got to be a speaker at conferences, and he said, write a book. And that, that actually worked out. For someone who's not interested in being a speaker, I don't know that that advice would work as well, but I would say write what you know even if it's to publish on Medium or, you know, your, your own blog, it was what I always recommend. Um, because I know people who have never written a book, but they got hired by somebody because of a blog post they wrote where it got a little bit of circulation. Um, and somebody who had an open position happened to read it and said, I like the way this person thinks. I'm going to get in touch with them and see if they'd like this position. And conversely, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Back at the university, a different boss than the boss who just retired. I want to make that clear. <laughs> uh, but when I was first playing with HTML and the web and some other people in the department were, were working on it with me, our boss at the time said, stop wasting your time with this silly web stuff. We ignored him. <laughs> Probably a good thing too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? Yeah, I probably would have gone to some form of code school or tried to get a degree in computer science somewhere. But mostly I do what I did, which was find things that interested me, dive deep into them and sort of tear them apart and put them back together to figure out how they work and then share what I knew, Yeah, which is really what made my career take off. And I would do pretty much the same thing now. I mean, I know at the time there were, you know, 40 blogs and now there are a billion, but GitHub code contributions, you know, publishing on your blog or on Medium or both, et cetera, you know, participating in Stack Overflow and being helpful. Those are the kinds of things that I would do. That's what I was doing then with, without things like Stack Overflow existing. I put together a bunch of support information for early CSS and I just published it because I was working at a university and they were all cool with that. And I got a writing job because somebody came past my the page and said, that's information that we could use. 
So, And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I'm trying to be a better leader, which is an ongoing process, uh, but being the co-founder of a company, I, you know, I have to have some leadership or else have someone else be a leader, but it's hard to have someone else be a leader when you're one of the co-founders. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm also focusing on teaching myself more JavaScript. I can do sort of basic JavaScript programming, but I'm, I'm trying to get better at it so that I can, I can understand better some of the JavaScript based technologies as they emerge. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Communication, being able to communicate, whether in writing or in talking. I'm better in communicating uh, in writing, but um, I've also done training, which requires the, you know, sort of the ability to communicate ideas to people and then see the looks on their faces that say, okay, they're confused. I need to do that again. Yeah. But communication, you know, which people call a soft skill and I've, I've got the air quotes going. <laughs> it's one of the hardest skills there is. Sorry. It takes a lot of practice. I'm still not, I'm still not great at it. I think sometimes, but just the ability to communicate. Yeah. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? I think what I do to keep myself energized is I keep a rotating stable of things that need my attention that are different. So like, Teaching myself JavaScript, I said, is one of my objectives. But when I get kind of frustrated or I get a little bit burned out on teaching myself more JavaScript, I can move over to researching CSS or I can move to writing up a technique that I that I came up with or things like that where I, there's, there's always something that I can switch to. I mean, I'm always running the business or co-running the business. It's not just me. But these other things, you know, I can dive into something for a little bit and then put it aside and go into something else. That that keeps me going. Yeah. It's kept me from burning out. And away from technology, what else do you do? Um, I've been doing rough carpentry, which is making its way. It's starting to verge towards woodworking. So I've, I've built a few things. I built a, a, a coop for the chickens that we have out back. And so I, I guess I'm, I'm part-time in an urban chicken minder. <laughs> um, but like I, I was able to visualize sort of design structurally and build a coop for them. The angles probably aren't quite exactly 90 degrees, but it, it worked well enough. Um, but I'm get, starting to get to the point where I can do sort of finer woodworking. Uh, but that's, that's a lot of it. I do a lot of reading when I can of, you know, fiction, basically stuff where I can not have to think about any of this stuff. Sure. And uh, I mean, the big one is being a father and husband. So family time. Eric, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? And this is particularly for people who are starting out, but also for people who are, who, who are along a bit, but wondering if they're where they want to be, figure out what it is you want to do with IT, not in IT, but with IT. Do you want to spread information? Do you want to connect people? Do you want to make servers run faster? So that, you know, like what, what's the purpose for you being in IT? Sort of at a high level, what kinds of effects do you want to have? That has always helped me decide what I need to learn or what I need to do next, right? So if, if I decide I, I want to make a little widget and I can figure out what that widget should act like, 
then I know what technologies I need to learn. And, and I did that recently when I realized I need, needed to learn more about SVG and JavaScript. Um, but, you know, I got into IT and the web to connect people to information more than connecting people, but like being able to spread information and help people share what they know and what they understand of the world with each other. And that's always informed doing what I do. I mean, literally founded a conference to help people do that. Yeah. I guess, I guess you could say I, I do it to, to teach, but again, that has always told me sort of where to go when I sit down and think about it. And I think that's, that's really what is my biggest piece of career advice is figure out why you want to do this and then you'll know what to do. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? My personal website, which has the, the blog and also a bunch of different things I've created is MeyerWeb.com. So M-E-Y-E-R-W-E-B.com. And then MeyerWeb is usually my handle on social media. It's, you know, MeyerWeb on Twitter, MeyerWeb on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on GitHub, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's usually how to find me is, is via MeyerWeb. But MeyerWeb.com uh, tries to be the hub for all of that. Great. Okay. Eric, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. I, I always appreciate a chance to natter on. As always, my thanks go to my guest on today's show. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. I also want to thank you for your continued support. It's always great to hear from listeners, particularly when they have suggestions about potential guests or ways to improve the show. And this was one of the reasons for creating the new IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. I'm really excited about taking the podcast forward and I hope that you'll continue to support and listen to the show as it continues to change and evolve. Thanks for listening and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.